Welcome to The Sunny Side, the podcast that makes solar energy relatable, accessible, and attainable. Join us as we journey behind the scenes with women taking amazing strides in all parts of the solar industry. I'm your host, Sharon Lee, and thank you for joining us today. All right, welcome back to the sunny side. I am so excited to do this month's episode and I'm so excited to introduce my next guest. But before I do that, let's dive into Sharon's Quarter and what have I been doing since the last time that we did a recording. And so, well, I've been on rooftops and, you know, you would think that maybe I do that more often in my job, but it's like this special little day when I get to go out and either assess a roof or see something that's been done or something like that and getting up there and looking out over the vista or whatever. I mean, that's just cool. So it's a good gig if you can get it. So get into solar and you get to get out on rooftops. (laughs) But anyway, so we We had our bi-monthly Empowered Women's Networking event this past month, and I'm excited that Georgia Power was our host, and we held it at the Druid Hills Golf Club, and what a venue. It was absolutely beautiful. We had a great turnout. We had great networking, great conversation, great food. I don't know. What else can I say? If you're in the metro Atlanta area in April and you are in solar or renewables or the utility industries, please reach out to me. We've already booked our next venue. South Face is going to be our sponsor on April 20th. And speaking of rooftops, we are going to be doing it on their rooftop, assuming weather will permit. So what are you waiting for? Give me a call. So let me know. Also, as far as events, I am so excited as well that the Georgia Solar Energy Association is looking to bring back our golf tournament. So years ago, what is this, 2014 or something along those lines, I was golfing with Mark Bell, who is incidentally the president of Velo Solar, and I wasn't with Velo Solar at the time, and two of our module manufacturing reps were out golfing. And we conceived this idea that this would be a great fundraiser for the association. And we pulled it together. It all came together and it was a great, great event. And then of course, COVID kind of killed it, but we are bringing it back, hopefully. So watch for information about that in the fall. And beyond that, I have been on the baseball field. So it is amazing how cold the early season of baseball is. It shouldn't be. It should be a summertime sport, but it can be pretty miserable. But my older son is on the JV high school team. And my younger son has actually started practicing for his travel team. But crazily enough, he made his middle school track team. So do you know, I have never been to a track meet before. My only point of reference is the Olympics. And so I might've had the bar set a little high, but it was great to see my little sixth grader out there. And he's competing with sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders. So, I mean, he's given it all he's got, and it has been so fun to watch. But Anyway, so spring has officially sprung in my life. And with that, it is my pleasure to welcome Stephanie Gossman. Now, she is the electric transportation manager for Georgia Power, and she is joining us on the sunny side, incidentally, for March, which is Women's History Month. Hello, Stephanie. Hi, Sharon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're happy to be here and happy that you can represent all women throughout history forever. No pressure. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little bit large, but I'll try. (laughs) You'll try. You know, go big or go home. That's what you got to do, right? (laughs) But I am really excited about our conversation today. So 
I'm stepping out of the world of PV, which is more my comfort zone, the CNI space, that sort of thing. And we're diving into the world of electric vehicles and grid infrastructure and all that goes along with that. But I can't imagine a better person, more qualified to lead this discussion. But before we dive in fully, let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got here. Okay. So I'm from Alabama and I went to the University of Alabama, graduated in electrical engineering. Hold on, hold on, hold on. University of Alabama. I'm sorry, as a Tennessee fan, I'm not sure I can have you representing all women throughout history. <laughs> oh man. Bama fans, we're great people. <laughs> Okay. All right. I'll reserve judgment. Okay. Anyway, so sorry. So you were an electrical engineer major in Alabama. Yes. Yes. And proud of it, as we just mentioned. And so I'm from Alabama, went to Alabama doubly and moved to Georgia, actually, to attend Georgia Tech. So also electrical engineering, but I wanted to study power systems in particular. And so that's my background. That's how I came into the utility world with Southern Company and also Georgia Power specifically focusing on power systems and seeing how the grid is connected and how everything flows and how we keep that, of course, safe and reliable and secure. And I've had roles in the field as well as corporate settings to support the grid. So I'm guessing folks weren't actually used to seeing a female engineer out in the field. Is that right? Not a lot. That's right. And one of my favorite things to go with that visual, actually, there's two things about it. One, I had an F-250 truck, which I know is not electric and it's not the same environmental friendliness of our, you know, the purpose of our conversation here. But I loved that truck. That's the biggest truck I've ever driven. And so coupled with that, though, I went through both of my pregnancies in the field. So you can imagine how um, interesting that was for a couple of reasons. One is, of course, me personally trying to go off road with this big old truck and handle all that, but then also doing it with the crews and then coming back to work and doing things like breastfeeding, you know, pumping in the truck as we go and look for outage restoration, you know, what's the problem? And Anyway, it was a lot of fun, but yes, a lot of first and eye-opening experiences on everybody's part, I think. I love it. And I totally, totally get that whole big machinery kind of thing. I was on a video shoot one time, so I wasn't actually saving the grid or anything along those lines. However, we had some downtime and they were shooting some B-roll and the guy that was running this Bobcat was like, you want to drive this? And I'm like, yeah, I want to drive this. And so I scooped up some dirt and dumped the dirt. I mean, I felt like I was king of the hill. No pun intended. But anyway, it was so much fun. But one thing that I usually ask my guests is, as far as getting into the world of renewables and that sort of thing, it sounds like it was a little bit intentional and a little bit of you landed there all at the same time. Is that right? Or, you know, how did you get specifically to this portion of this industry? It's a little bit of both. One, I'm an EV driver personally for almost 10 years. So it is a passion personally. And then seeing that mixed with the professional opportunity has been a lot of fun. I would say my background in what we call the power delivery side, the operations and maintenance and field work and policy work even has all led me to a point where this is actually a really great fit. And I like to call it power delivery adjacent. It's just on the other side of the meter and to meet specific customer needs in this evolving industry. Okay. So backing up into kind of your daily role, because I mean, you know, we're talking way up here and this sounds very, very complicated, but when it comes down to it, you talk with business owners and that sort of thing, and you collaborate with customers. Can you share an example on how you might work directly with a customer? Yes. 
Of course, customer needs are all different. So I'm going to use an example that gives me a chance to share a lot of the ways that we work with customers. So the area of fleet electrification, vehicle fleet electrification for business purposes is a hot topic and it offers a lot of potential benefits for businesses. And that's why it's a hot topic. So I'll use that one. In the area of fleet electrification, especially for our municipalities, our cities, our small businesses that are not the big ones like Amazon or UPS, right? We do have a variety of offerings and really the goal there is to meet them wherever they are. So we might have a program, which I hope we'll get a chance to get to, you know, a certain type of program, rebates, incentives, customer incentives. But we also recognize they have broader needs to help them on the advisory and the consultative type capacity. And that's where we want to meet them again, wherever they are in that journey. So, for example, around the area of fleet electrification, it sounds nice to think I need a fast charger, a DC fast charger, which is a minimum of 50 kW, anywhere up to 350, right? So these are very high powered devices and they think I need all fast chargers because I need to charge my vehicles quickly. And maybe you do, but in a lot of cases, you don't need all fast chargers. And it's to not only the customer's benefit, but also the utility from a grid impact perspective and the infrastructure investment required to not have all fast chargers if it's not needed. And so that's where understanding their needs in that conversation up front to help develop the strategy so that we can find the right solutions and offerings to package together. And again, we can meet not only the infrastructure needs, but we do have broader services. We can offer an end-to-end turnkey package depending on what they're looking for. So trying to piece all that together to meet their needs is complex, but it requires a lot of conversation and us collaborating together, which is fine. Right. And you don't have to do that on your own. So you're coming up with this win-win situation where the grid is adapted in a thoughtful way. The customer is happy because maybe they're not overpaying for power or powering things that they don't necessarily need and that sort of thing. But that does lead me to ask you about your team. Can you tell me a little bit about them? Yes. So my team is dynamic and customer focused and extroverts, a lot of them, which is fun because we get to tackle these different problems, again, working in partnership with our customers. So it's been fun. They've also been open to change, of course, in both of the renewables industry, the clean energy industry in general is dynamic and fluid. And so having a team that is willing to go wherever that path takes us together and brainstorm together is critical to success. So I'd say my team is all of those things and we kind of have to be, but thankfully we are. Good, good. Well, let's talk a little bit about electric vehicles and I guess more specifically EV chargers. So the pace of electric vehicle adoption is incredibly fast right now. And so first, let's talk about the infrastructure this requires from the grid in order to handle the additional load and assuming that pace continues, the added load needed in the future. So how do you account for that? Yes. So I'm going to take the word infrastructure and expand it in kind of two different ways. When it comes to charging infrastructure, one thing I love to see and note here about the state of Georgia in particular is where we are in the nation. We rank in the top 10 for publicly available fast charging and level two charging in both of those categories, which is a great place to be. There's still room for growth, but we do have over 5,000 publicly available chargers in the state of Georgia right now. So in terms of infrastructure, that's one, when you drive an EV, you think about where are the chargers? Where can I have access? And it kind of goes to range anxiety, right? So that's one reason I'd like to talk about infrastructure that way. Grid infrastructure, though, as you just mentioned, 
there's certainly several considerations there. And as I mentioned in that example for fleet electrification, the DC fast charging ranges from 50 to 350 kW. And the more the manufacturers put out these new vehicles that have those higher charging capabilities, as well as the chargers themselves increase the power capabilities, the more demand that places on the grid. And so that's one thing that we try to keep in mind as we work with customers, as I mentioned, and try to understand as early in their process as we can what their needs are, because there is an impact to the grid and we need to do that in a thoughtful way. And it can be substantial. I mean, we're talking megawatts potentially for some of these you think about large trucks, the truck charging depots and what is going to be required. That's a big impact. It's not just putting in even a small business. It's like putting a large business or even a small college campus in some cases. And Wow. And part of the planning for all of this is more than just electrons and electrical grid and all of that. It's policy work. And so if we back up just a little bit, so by law, Georgia Power has to go through a rate planning exercise every three years called the IRP, which is the Integrated Resource Plan. Got it. First try. (laughs) Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? But at the end of the IRP, Georgia Power then makes recommendations to the Public Service Commission, which that is the regulatory body for Georgia Power. I should make that note. So the commission will then take that on as the rate case, and then they will over what they did this past year over the last quarter, study that. They take testimony from different groups and that sort of thing. And then they will, just to break it down very, very at a high level, they'll make a vote on what do we want to do for that next three years. And then George Power kind of has their plan. They implement it over that time. So that was done in December. But tell me some of the takeaways very specifically that you see from the electrification side of things that you would see that came out of the rate case. Yes. So great synopsis, IRP to rate case. I'll actually use electric transportation to give an example of how those two are connected, for example. So the IRP considers the forecasted demand for electricity and the resources and plans to meet that demand in a safe and reliable way to meet all the requirements, whether it's federal, state, all the things. And then the rate case is the cost to implement that and to meet customers' ongoing needs. So in the IRP, there is, of course, the forecasting process, which includes EV adoption and the load growth anticipated from the forecast information we have at that point in time. We do have a robust planning process, so we are continually updating those models, but this IRP process is every three years So just know that is a line item, if you will, in the forecast and the way that we plan our system to meet that demand. Then in the rate case, the customer-focused implementation is what was in the rate case. So all of our customer offerings and the funding for those offerings, as well as the funding from an infrastructure perspective, is approved in the rate case proceeding itself. And so what came out of it that my team is responsible for is the customer-focused offerings, which includes customer incentives such as rebates and infrastructure programs. And then there were also some rates, of course, which are important for customers to have not only the offerings, but then the rates and tariffs and rate riders, for example, to complement whatever their needs are. So we have several, I mentioned rebates, both on the residential as well as the commercial side available. We also have infrastructure programs that are more the commercial industrial focused customers to provide what we call make ready behind the meter infrastructure to serve the chargers. 
that was all approved in the rate case. We also have another program back to the public charging called community charging to meet those critical needs around the state and in the limited capacity that was approved in the rate case. And so hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about these each in a little bit more detail, but that's a quick synopsis. And all of that information I'd like to say first is available on georgiapower.com forward slash ET, electric transportation, ET for business customers in particular, which has the rebates as well as the infrastructure programs. Okay. And we'll make sure that any of those links like that we'll put in the description when we distribute the podcast. So we'll make sure that that's available to anybody that is looking for that sort of thing. So you mentioned the Make Ready program and the Make Ready program was already in existence. And to my understanding, that's where you were talking about the rebates are available. So there were rebates available. They are still available, but now that Make Ready program has just been made more robust. Is that correct? That's correct. So the rebates are still available, especially focusing on business customers in particular. There is a $500 rebate for each level two, which is 240 volt connected EV charger that a business may want to install up to a maximum of five. The reason there's a maximum of five is because that's where the Make Ready program picks up, which is a minimum of six level two chargers or one DC fast charger. And it includes the cost of the infrastructure installation, as well as the maintenance and ownership by Georgia Power to serve the chargers. So there is a distinction and difference as to when each would apply, but the rebates are available even today. Make ready, back to your comment on becoming more robust. It's now funded instead of at $6 million a year, it's now funded at approximately $17.5 million a year. So there's a lot more funding, which is good for customers, not only those who are interested in the infrastructure, but it's really good for customers overall because this investment in infrastructure actually puts downward pressure on rates for all customers. Okay. Okay. And, you know, we were talking previously about you all collaborating with customers and that sort of thing. And one of the things that we've talked about is, you know, identifying different types of chargers from a voltage perspective. However, there's different discussions with a customer that you have based on the communication the charger can provide to the customer. And so you've got the smart charger and that sort of thing. Tell us a little bit about the different types of chargers and some of the scenarios there. Yes. So in the industry, we do call them smart versus dumb chargers, unfortunately, but dumb chargers have a place. They really do. Dumb chargers don't have those communications capabilities. So we love them too. (laughs) That's a nice way to say it. Yes. And so again, talking with customers, understanding what their need is, what their interest is and installing the chargers, we can provide the right types of recommendations and ultimately inform the infrastructure, of course, that we need to know in terms of scoping a project, but inform their decision. Because if they say, I don't want to collect revenues, okay, maybe a dump charger is for you. They're cheaper. So there's that aspect of it to consider. But at the same time, maybe they do need to keep track of if it's for fleet purposes, for example, maybe you do need some sort of reporting or even charging management, and therefore communications capability. And it might make more sense to invest in the smart charger long term. Okay. So is it true that Georgia Power also offers a maintenance program for the EV chargers? Is that included as part of what you would talk about with your customers? We do talk about maintenance with our customers. That's part of the solution set or suite of offerings for chargers that they own. We also have a program that was approved in the rate case called the Community Charging Program. And that's the one through which we can offer a limited number of public-facing DC fast chargers throughout the state. 
And when I say limited, this is a very small part of the solution here in Georgia, back to that need for charging infrastructure, especially public charging infrastructure. We like to say that it's part of promoting range confidence, which combats the range anxiety that EV drivers and would-be EV drivers would feel throughout the state. So it's less than 3% of the public charging market here in Georgia today, but it's a critical less than 3% because this program specifically looks to be a provider of last resort in rural areas, underserved areas that are not otherwise met by private investments. Perfect. I mean, range anxiety is a real deal. I mean, I understand that auto manufacturers have studied it extensively because it was a major barrier to people buying EVs. So if an EV charger is in place, it's very important to ensure that it's in good working order and that sort of thing. So I think it's fantastic that you all are taking control of the entire situation. But You know what? It's great to hear about the plans being made with the vehicle infrastructure and all the planning that's being done and your team's accessibility along the way. That communication is absolutely key to implementation. So that's all fantastic to hear. Yes. And I think what having funding for these types of customer offerings and, of course, enabling our own capabilities even further to enhance our ability to help customers is all important. And going back to our goal is to partner with customers to help reduce those barriers to adoption. So whether that's residential EV drivers going throughout the state, whether it's businesses who want to install charging infrastructure for their own business operations, for public use, for use of their patrons, all the above, this is a full suite of offerings to meet customers again, wherever they are, because they need to be able to charge at home, at work, and then on the go out in public. Fantastic. Fantastic. So Actually, let's shift gears for just a second. And if you don't mind, let's talk about mentorship. So mentorship is a very important topic to me. In fact, one of the reasons that we even started doing this podcast, but it can be very broad. It can be you know, accomplished in so many different ways. There's very specific programs and that sort of thing, but then there's also very casual interactions. But I think at the root of it all, it needs to be intentional. You have to seek out to actually do it. So tell me your thoughts on mentorship. I agree with everything you just said. I will say for me personally, it has been a big part of my life, both professionally as well as in my personal life, because the importance of mentorship for me really shines in creating a safe space that can lead to having conversations, real conversations with somebody, no matter what the topic is. Again, I have mentors in various places, but having those kinds of conversations that just help you in whatever you're facing Mm -hmm. and being able to have someone you can ask those questions to who will share with you also treat you as a safe space, who will share with you their personal experience and any sort of thoughts or just listen to you, be a sounding board and react to you. Again, it's all the above. And so mentors exist for different purposes, I guess I would say in my life. Again, it's on both sides, personal and professional, but it's also at different stages. Mm -hmm. So if you know someone, and this goes back to the importance of the network, we talk about Women's History Month. That's a big part of what you've been able to help lead. They empowered networking events, for example, right? You get exposure to different people who are walking in different places than you who have been through different things. And if you're sharing together and it's a safe space, especially, you know whom you can call in different circumstances when you're walking through something. And that's the power of it to me is having someone to walk through my life with me for a variety of reasons. 
Right. Right. And if you have had good mentors in your life, you are probably going to be a good mentor to other folks. You're accessible and open to that type of relationship. You know, it's so easy to just go from point A to point B in your life and kind of overlook this because it's work. I mean, it takes extra time and all of that stuff. But I do think that including mentorship is such a key to our success as we are going on and bringing folks in behind us and all of that kind of thing. But you do make a good point that it's not just about business. You don't just shut it off when you leave the office. And so this is something that can impact us from all different parts of our lives. But speaking of life outside of Georgia Power, how's that for a segue? (laughs) Well, life outside of Georgia Power for me is largely revolving around Disney at the moment. I do have two small boys. They are five and eight. And my husband, we are all Disney fans. And so we go to Disney World. We have done some Disney cruises and we watch a lot of Disney movies, of course. But that's something that we enjoy doing together. And and then also besides that, before kids. And also whenever we don't have the kids, we do like to scuba dive, which also can take place in Disney, by the way, in Epcot or nearby, right? If you drive to the beach, but yes, we do enjoy scuba diving in Disney world. And you might have just gotten back from a Disney trip. Is that right? (laughs) I did. That's usually true. When you talk to me, I might've just gotten back most of the time, but it's something again, we enjoy doing. We do have the annual passes, so it's worth the investment for us and we make it worth our investment. Right. I love the fact that you talk about how you know the spots and that's no joke. Newbies like me, you go down there and you have to know where to be at what time and all of that stuff. And so, I mean, there's an art to go into Disney. You are so right. My husband actually is, he plans our Disney trips. I would call him a Disney planner. He's not officially a Disney planner, but he knows all the things to make sure it goes smoothly. And I am so thankful that he enjoys that and has that skill set. It has been built up over time, though. Right, right. Yeah, that's definitely not something that you just walk into that as your path. That's for sure. You have to know exactly what you're doing. But it has been great chatting with you today. I feel like we have touched on this whole new side of the, I would say, renewables world. But I mean, it's just all of the energy world here. So um, look at you. You are representing all women in history and all of the electrification of the grid. You know, I'd hate to come in and wear your shoes afterward, but I appreciate you coming on today. I'm feeling all powered up. How about that? After this conversation, all powered up. Absolutely. Energized. Well said. Now, if people want to reach out to you, tell me the best way for them to find you. Yes. So for me personally, LinkedIn is the best way to find me. For my team, if you have any questions about whatever your journey looks like around electrification and any sort of charging infrastructure needs, That website that I provided, georgiapower.com slash ET, is the best way to reach us. There are buttons in many places, including the website itself that I just mentioned, where you can contact an expert, and that will reach out directly to my team. Fantastic. Well, what a great conversation. Thanks again for being a part of this undertaking and for the deployment of the EV chargers and all of the supporting infrastructure. I mean, this is really an exciting new world. And, you know, when we were creating the idea of the sunny side, I mean, this type of conversation and lifting up women exactly like you, I mean, is exactly what we wanted to accomplish. So you're blazing new trails, you're in this world, you're tackling new developments every day at work and in your home life. And, you know, other than being an Alabama fan, I don't see any downside to this. (laughs) (laughs) There is no downside if you're an Alabama (laughs) 
Okay. All right. Good enough. But again, thank you for being here today. And I look forward to seeing you in April at our next women's event. Yes. Thank you, Sharon, for having me. It's been great talking. All right. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Sunnyside Podcast. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. You can also email questions, suggestions, and compliments to Sharon at velosolar.com. The Sunnyside is produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company and executive produced by Sharon Lee. Thank you.